We are in Psalm 33 today. That's page 488 of your pew Bible. Page 488 of your pew Bible. Give you a minute to get there. And, you know, after Brother David's prayer and Pastor Allen's um, children's sermon, I almost feel like I don't need to come up here and preach the gospel. They already did it for me. They already did it for me. But, like Paul, I desire to come to you and to preach the gospel to you. So, that's what we're going to do today. You know, speaking of the gospel and Jesus, you know, one of the questions I always try to ask when I'm studying the Bible is, how does this passage relate to Christ? How does it relate to Christ? And I also ask, what light does the gospel shine on this passage? What light does it shine on this passage? On the surface, Psalm 33 may not seem to have much to do with Christ at all. But when you read it in the light of the gospel that we have now, that's really what it's all about. In it, we see various roads and pathways of doctrine we can take on our journey to draw nearer to God in the Psalms. We can go for a run down Narrow Way, which widens out into Redemption Street, which is the main street. We can go down By Faith Boulevard. We can take a stroll down Sola Scriptura Street. We may even walk down a dark alley called Suffering. But even when we're there, we can always see the end of the alley where the lights on Hope Street shine brightly where it intersects. And if you look up, you also see an old neon sign that says, Jesus saves. Jesus saves. You see, quite literally, this is a gospel song, and that's the title of our message today, a gospel song. Now, in some churches, what I'm saying today might be frowned upon, or worse, at a pastor's conference I recently attended in Pennsylvania, there was a speaker who told us how he had been ejected from his pulpit in the Episcopal Church for daring to preach the gospel. His bishop removed his, him from his pulpit because he preached the gospel. And he dared to say, he had the audacity to say that all scripture points to Jesus Christ. And in response, he was given an eviction notice of two weeks to vacate his parsonage. And the bishop actually came to his church and would not let him in the pulpit. Brothers and sisters, this psalm, Psalm 33, is all about the gospel. And we can't be ashamed to say it. Lord, may it never be said in this church, Leonardtown Baptist Church, that we should not teach the good news of the gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ. No, even more, we need to proclaim it in the face of opposition. We dare not be ashamed of the gospel. We dare not be ashamed of the gospel. And so we come to Psalm 33. Pray with me. Father in heaven, O sovereign Lord, open our hearts and ears to hear your gospel today from this gospel song from Psalm 33. May we leave here convicted and transformed. In the name of Jesus, amen. So if you've had your chance to get to page 488 of your pew Bibles, Psalm 33, we're going to be in the CSB today. 
If you could all stand and we're going to read the psalm. In honor of the reading of the word, we're standing. Psalm 33. Rejoice in the Lord, you righteous ones. Praise from the upright is beautiful. Praise the Lord with the lyre. Make music to him with a ten-stringed harp. Sing a new song to him. Play skillfully on the strings with a joyful shout. For the word of the Lord is right, and all his work is trustworthy. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the Lord's unfailing love. The heavens were made by the word of the Lord, and all the stars by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the water of the sea into a heap. He puts the depths into storehouses. Let the whole earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it came into being. He commanded, and it came into existence. The Lord frustrates the counsel of the nations. He thwarts the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart from generation to generation. Happy is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he has chosen for his own possession. The Lord looks down from heaven. He observes everyone. He gazes on all the inhabitants of the earth from his dwelling place. He forms the hearts of them all. He considers all their works. A king is not saved by a large army. A warrior will not be rescued by great strength. The horse is a false hope for safety. It provides no escape by its great power. But look, the Lord keeps his eye on those who fear him, those who depend on his faithful love to rescue them from death and keep them alive in famine. We wait for the Lord. He is our hope and our help and shield. For our hearts rejoice in him because we trust in his holy name. May your steadfast love rest on us, Lord, for we put our hope in you. Amen. You may be seated. May God bless the reading of his word. Now, we don't know who the author of Psalm 33 is. Since it does not explicitly state it, some believe it's David because of its linkage to Psalm 32, which we do know is written by David. Some think it was written after the exile when the Israelites returned to their homeland. It's hard to say because it doesn't say. It doesn't say. But one thing is pretty clear. It's the follow-on or the sequel to Psalm 32. We can see that in the last verse of Psalm 32. It is, in fact, the saint's response to Psalm 32 that we see in Psalm 33. In a sense, it's similar to what we now use as the fifth verse of the song we sung last week, Amazing Grace, which was not part of the original hymn. Did you know that? When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. That's not in the original John Newton, Amazing Grace. There was originally six verses. Then the church kind of narrowed it down to four and added that one as a fifth verse. So it was first recorded in the anti-slavery novel, Uncle Tom's Cabin, because it had been passed down orally in African-American communities for about 50 years at that point, from about 1800. You know, maybe that's not the greatest comparison, but I think we can all agree that the fifth verse fits with the song. Can we not? Yeah, it fits with the song Amazing Grace. Now, as far as the Chris Tomlin take on it, 
I like it, but I know for some of you guys that jury came back with a different verdict, so we won't go there. We won't go there. It's okay to laugh. (laughs) But regardless of what you think about the different versions, John Newton wrote the original for a purpose. He wrote the original for a purpose, and that was to call God's people to worship. Likewise, Psalm 33 is a cause, calls upon all of Jesus' followers to celebrate the Lord and rejoice in all that he has done and all that, all that he is. And not just privately, in our homes, our cars, whatever, but publicly as well. Followers of Jesus live a life of worship. Let's look at the first 12 verses. Now what I'm going to do here is I'm not going to go through and pick every piece of meat out of this. We could be here for two hours. We went through every single line by line and picked every piece of meat out of it. But I want to preach the gospel to you because this is, after all, a gospel song. Followers of Jesus live a life of worship. Our God wants every, everyone everywhere to worship him. We're created to worship the creator. That's why he created us. This is especially true of people who are in covenant with him. The same God, listen, the same God who created everything is the same God who acts within history to work out his plan of redemption through Abraham and Israel all the way down to the climax of it in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. And he still works today. I want you to know this, people, friends, family. He still works today to save people. The Holy Spirit continues to do great works of redemption and power and grace around this globe. Brothers and sisters, I ask you today, do you desire to see these great works? Do you desire to see these great works of redemption and people being saved from bondage to sin and to join you in God's kingdom? Do you desire that? You may be saying, what is this, what is this guy talking about? What are these great works he's talking about? Sure, we see a few people get saved every now and then. We see some people get baptized occasionally a couple times a year. And then we yawn. And we yawn. Folks, I think Christians today, at least in the post-Christian culture of the West, tend to doubt God's ability or his willingness to do great works of revival. And I think, church, that this is something we need to repent of. We need to repent of our subconscious doubt in God's willingness or ability. We need to repent of this apathy towards God's power. I think we've caught a case of God's not going to do anything no ways. God's not going to do anything no ways. We need to pray to God to do his mighty work. Are you praying for people to follow Jesus and be saved? Are you praying for people to follow Jesus to be saved? Are you praying for revival, a great awakening amongst the nations? Are you praising God privately and publicly? Following Jesus means you live a life of worship. I think it's time some of you stop being wet blankets and instead pour fuel on the Holy Spirit's fire. You know... Those who were here at the prayer meeting last week 
We prayed for lost folks we know. We prayed for revival. And I hear some good things happened at the youth camp this week. And I'm praying they take root and spread like a fire. The Holy Spirit pouring out abundantly in praise and glory to God. So let's take a few minutes and break down these verses and what they tell us about how and why to praise the Lord. First, verses 1 through 3 in this first point. Praise Him for His redeeming grace. Look, the words here used by the psalmist. Words like righteous, upright. These are all words used to describe God's people who have been redeemed by His grace. It is right for us as God's people to praise the Lord. To praise the Lord because of what He's done an amazing thing for us. Why? Why has he done this amazing thing? Because the Bible says that none are righteous before God. None are righteous before God. Nobody does good. Jesus himself said in the Gospels to the rich young man, nobody is good but God alone. We've got a sin problem. We've got a sin problem, each and every one of us. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. All of us have sinned before a holy God and are deserving of punishment forever in an eternal hell. And make no mistake, my friend, God would be perfectly justified to send every single one of us, me included, to that place. But God says it doesn't have to be this way. Yes, I'm justified. But it doesn't have to be this way. I sent my son, Jesus, to take the punishment in your place. Whoever believes in him will be saved and redeemed from death and hell. Sing a new song, the Lord says, because I have blessed you. The ESV says in verse 12, blessed is the nation. The CSV says happy. I like blessed. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. Brothers and sisters, we are part of the greatest nation ever. And I'm not talking about the United States. I'm not talking about the United States. As great as she is, as much as I love her, and I feel blessed to live here in freedom, there is a greater kingdom. A kingdom not of this world. Who you, all of you who believe in Christ, are ambassadors to this world. Yes, you may be citizens of the United States, but you're citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And you are here as ambassadors representing that kingdom first and foremost. With the message of reconciliation. Because of Christ, we can rejoice and and be glad and we can proclaim worthy is the lamb who was slain to take away the sins of the world. We are made right with God. This is the promise and the blessing for those who believe the gospel. Brother, are you blessed? Are you blessed? Sister, are you blessed? Friend, are you blessed? Have you repented of your sins and have you believed the gospel of Jesus Christ? Follow Christ today and receive the blessing of eternal life. But you say, you say to me, I anticipate this question. You have no idea what I've done. I have heard that so many times. Heard that so many times. You have no idea what I've done. My sins are too great. 
God can't possibly forgive what I've done. If I walk in that church, I may light on my, I may burn up. Heard that one too, too many times. God can't possibly forgive, forgive what I've done. Oh, yes, he can. And he will. God says, I will. And I can. But you got to trust him. And you got to believe him. You know how I know? Because he forgave me. And I'm the worst sinner out of all of you. If you knew what my life was, I lived a reprobate life. Before Christ. You can take his word for it. It is faithful and true. And that's what the next few verses are about. Listen. Verses 4 and 5. We need to praise him for his faithful love. All of God's work of redemption and judgment in this world is faithful and true. All of his decisions are just. All of his work is done out of his steadfast love. He is faithful. He is faithful even when we're not. Despite many temptations and extreme opposition... Jesus was faithful to accomplish his purpose to die in your place on the cross. And he offered himself in heaven as your sin offering. The Lord is faithful. His promises are always kept. And his word is power. And we praise him today for his power. Praise him today for his power, 6 through 9. All things were made by his word. He spoke it and it came into being. The very life of you was formed and given by him. Turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. Keep you awake here. Turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. I don't have the verses up on the screen, so you gotta, you got to turn with me. Give you a second to get there. Colossians chapter 1. Go to verse 13. Verse 13. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. In Him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Notice it doesn't say anything there about how the magnitude of your sin. Just says we have forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. Folks, when I read that, I want to break out in praise. Praise the Lord. Paul's letter to the Colossians is one of my favorites in the whole Bible. It brings me such joy and certainty in an uncertain world. Let's think about that word for a minute, world. When we think about world, the word world and the word word are so similar, aren't they? One letter separates them, the letter L. The letter L. But they couldn't be more different. One brings certainty. The word brings more, brings certainty. And one breeds worry and brings uncertainty. Praise him for his word. Verses 10 through 12. When God says something, he means it. And when he promises something, he's going to bring it. The word of God stands forever on its own feet, so to speak. 
And I actually counted this myself, but 31 times, 31 times in the New Testament, it speaks about God's word being fulfilled. 31 times fulfilled in Jesus Christ. You can trust his word. Followers of Jesus, trust him with their life. So you can trust his word, you can trust him with your life. You know, we trust a lot of things, don't we? We trust, trust that this dollar in my back pocket is going to be worth something. Trust that it's going to be worth something when I retire. <laughs> I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. You know, we trust that we'll have food on our table tomorrow because we live in a prosperous society. We trust in our politics and our country. We sang about America the beautiful and we, we sang a blessing on our nation earlier. You know, and, our, and it's laws and we trust in our family. Do we trust in our 401k and our job to get us there? Do you trust God with your very life? God wants you to trust him with everything. The scripture says that no man can serve two masters. No man can serve two masters. Who are you serving and who are you trusting today? The world is full of uncertainty. The world whispers in our ears, but you can't know for certain. You can't know for certain. And no man can know everything, but God does. But God does look at the passage in our passage today. Verses 13 through 15. The Lord looks down from heaven. He observes everyone. He gazes on all the inhabitants of the earth from his dwelling place. He forms the hearts of them all. He considers all their works. Just take that in for a minute. Take that in. He considers all their works. King David wrote Psalm 139, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. Trust in his watchfulness. Now, I know, folks, firsthand when I wrote this, I know that can be a scary thought. That God knows everything. Because I know my own mind sometimes. And I know my own mind sometimes. And it ain't always holy. It ain't always holy. Even when I'm here at church, it ain't only, always holy. But it doesn't have to be scary because God commands us to be holy because I am holy. He's talking about himself. And he gives us the power to do so through his Holy Spirit and encouragement from the scriptures. Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Think about these things. Trust in his watchfulness. Trust in his might. 
not your own. He would never command you to do something He has not given you the power to do through the Holy Spirit. He commands you to be holy. He'll give you the power through the Holy Spirit to be holy in all that you do. Trust in His might, 16 through 19. If you're struggling against sin, that's a good thing. That's a good thing that you're struggling against it. That means you haven't given up or given into it and settled. But if you're struggling against sin, you need to trust in his might and in his strength. Don't underestimate it. Don't take it on by yourself. Crush it daily with prayer. Trust in God's mighty power to conquer. Trust in God's mighty power to conquer. Jesus said in the Gospel of John, I have said these things to you that in me, in me, you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart. Take heart. I have overcome the world. Through Jesus Christ, you can overcome the world and the sin that enslaves you. Turn to Christ and you will be free. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Are you struggling with worry, anxiety? Raise his hand. We all struggle with it at times. Jesus said to his disciples, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet our heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you being anxious can add a single hour to to his span of life? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek first his kingdom of God and his righteousness. Trust him with your worry. Again, are you doubting that God can forgive you? Ephesians 1, 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, that's our sins, according to the riches of his grace. Trust him with your life. Trust him with your worry. Trust him with your soul. Trust him with your soul. As he was hanging on that cross and about to give up his life, Jesus said, It is finished. It is finished. He only said it once. I said it twice. Do you know what that means? It means that whoever believes in him shall have eternal life. And it's as certain as certain can be. When it was finished, he purchased your redemption. He made it a certainty and sealed it. Jesus said in John 6, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Never cast out, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Trust him, because in Christ alone, you have hope. You have hope. But it's not just any hope. Anybody can say they have hope. I hope I get this promotion. I hope my team wins the World Series. I'm a Nats fan. I ain't got much hope. Not in, that, not in that area. Not since they blew up the team a couple years ago. I haven't even watched this year, so I don't know how they're doing. Probably not good because I ain't heard nothing. But we hope in things that offer no real hope. Those hopes have no certainty in them. 
There's certainty in them. Followers of Jesus have a certain hope. Has certainty, 20 through 22. Because why? It's based on the Lord. It's based on an unchanging Lord. I want to quickly wrap up with three encouragements to you based on what these last three verses say about who God is. Verse 20. Verse 20. We wait for the Lord. He is our help and shield. Be patient because he's strong. Be patient. The scripture says to be patient. If we're honest with ourselves, we don't like being patient. We don't like even more somebody telling us to be patient. Be patient. Man, step back. Don't tell me to be patient. I'm the most patient person there is. That's when you know you're not. That's like if you ever say you're humble. Right? How's that go? I'm humble. You ain't humble. Brother, let me tell you something. You ain't humble. But we're called to be patient. The Apostle Paul wrote in his letter to the Romans, to those who, Romans 2, 7, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory, see, by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. God says, if you want to have eternal life and spend eternity with me, you're going to have to be patient. You're going to have to wait for me. I'm worth the wait. But you might be thinking sometimes, Lord, I'm trying to be patient. The longer I wait, what if I fall away? What if I fall away? What if I become like Demas in the scriptures? Paul's co-worker on mission who left him to chase after the things of this world. I don't know about you, church. But my God is not weak. My God is not weak. The God of the Bible is a strong God. He's able to preserve you to the end. If you put your faith and trust in his son, Jesus Christ, you will persevere. You will persevere. In some older versions of the scriptures, he used the term long-suffering. I like that. I like that. Long-suffering instead of the word patience. Be long-suffering because he's strong. He's strong. He's not a weak God. It is finished. You'll make it to the end. You may wander. You may wander sometimes, but you'll make it to the end if you are in Christ. And you can be glad because he's trustworthy. Verse 21 For our hearts rejoice in him because we trust in his holy name. Folks, are you glad today? Are you trusting in his holy name? The Apostle John said that he wrote his gospel for this purpose. Quote, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John twenty thirty one. You may have life in his name. The Bible also says... God highly has highly exalted him and bestowed on him, that's Jesus, the name that is above every name, Philippians 2, 9. 
And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given by which, among men by which we must be saved. Acts 4.12. Folks, there is power in the name of Jesus. There is life-saving power in the name of Jesus Christ. God says, do not be deceived. Neither sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. That's a humbling thought right there. But he says he follows right behind it with verse 11 of 1 Corinthians 6. And such were some of you. And such were some of you. And I include myself there. But you were washed. You were washed. You were sanctified. That means you were set apart for God's purposes to be holy. You were justified. You were made righteous in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by this Holy Spirit of our God. Are you glad you were washed in the name of Jesus Christ? Are you glad? Be glad because he's trustworthy. Lastly, lastly, verse 22, be hopeful because he's working. He's working. We're hopeful because God lavishes his steadfast love on us. In this world, we will have trouble. We'll have illnesses, pain. I know many of you suffer with chronic illnesses or pain. My wife suffers with chronic pain. Some folks who are on Zoom right now suffer with chronic pain. Can't come to church because of their medical issues. It's hard. My own health issues progress daily, it feels like. But let me tell you something, church. That does not mean God does not love us. And it does not mean God is not good. The Bible says, for God who said... Let light shine out of the darkness. Has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have these treasures in jars of clay, this body. To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. Amen, indeed. 2 Corinthians 4. Did you catch that, that, that phrase there? Knowing that he, that's God, who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. That's why we have hope. Christ is alive. Christ is alive. He's a living Savior. And yet, I dare say, I'm going to go out there. Many of his followers act as though he's dead. Many people, people in his own church, act as if he's dead. He's not dead. He's alive, and the Bible says that at any given moment, he's coming back. At the trumpet blast, he's going to come down and set up his kingdom. And what a kingdom it's going to be. It'll be a world in which there's no more tears. 
No sorrow, no crime, no war, no suffering, no violence, no illnesses, no chronic pain, no Parkinson's disease, no colon cancer. Amen, brother. It's going to be a glorious world ruled by one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Church, he's alive, and I've given my life not to a dead Savior, but to a living Savior, Jesus Christ. He's a living Savior, and that's who I'm following today. He's alive today, and he's pouring out his spirit abundantly around this globe, and in his name alone you can find hope. It's a hope for salvation, and it's a certain hope. The Bible says... The Bible says, and I always, I'm going to always think of you now, Laura, when I read this verse. Because she quoted it at the prayer meeting last Sunday night. Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Do you believe that? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen. Amen. Call on the name of the Lord because that, my friends, that, that is the hope that I have. Do you? Do you have the hope of salvation in Jesus Christ?